It had been 25 years. 25 years. I don't know what you were doing 25 years ago, 1997, but a lot happens in 25 years. It had been 25 years since God first came to Abraham and asked him to move. He came to him where he was living in his father's land. Abraham was 75 years old. And said, Abraham, I want you to leave everything you know and everything that you're used to and everything that's been familiar to you. And I want you to come to a land that I will show you. And I'm going to make you a great nation and you will be blessed. And God said to him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. It had been 25 years since that moment. And a lot had happened in Abraham's life. He had moved, he had made treaties with kings around him, he had dealt with conflict, and the whole time he was waiting for God to be, make good on his promise, that he would be the father of a great nation, because the biggest issue, and if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know this, the biggest issue in Abraham's life was here he was 75 years old, and his wife was 10 years younger than him, she was 65 years old, and they had no son, they had no heir. So how in the world do you become the father of a great nation if you don't have a child? And in that 25 years, Abraham and Sarah had gotten a little impatient with God. They had tried to come up with their own solution, allowing Abraham to father a child with one of their servants, Hagar, and Ishmael was born. And God came back to Abraham and said, no, that's not the plan. I'm going to provide you with a son. Through your wife, Sarah. And for 25 years, they tried to believe that that was true. As they celebrated being, as Abraham celebrated being 80 and then 85 and then 90 and then 95, they tried to believe that it was true. That God could provide them with a son. And here at the beginning of chapter 21, we see the fulfillment of God's promise. We've been talking about the life of Abraham and the origin of our faith for like six weeks. And it's felt like it's taken a long time for this moment to come to us. Imagine if you're Abraham and Sarah and it's been 25 years. And as we come into Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, this is what we read. That the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. 
And I, and Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son, Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is miraculous. Who's ever heard of such a thing? Sarah with stroller in one hand and Cain in the other, walking her baby around. And, and the excitement that must have taken place in that moment, that God proved that his word is true. That just like he said, and just like he promised, he showed up. And they named their son Isaac, which means uh, he who laughs. And Sarah is, is laughing and everyone is laughing and it's a laughter of joy and excitement as God has done exactly what he said he would do. And now the promise is true and the promise is sure that Abraham is going to be the father of a great nation. Sure enough, just like God said, all those moments of doubt over the past 25 years, all those moments of questioning now made sure in the birth of Isaac. You know, introducing something new into a family can bring great joy. It can bring great excitement. But introducing something new into a family can also bring tension, can't it? You introduce a child into a family, you introduce child, a child into a relationship, all of a sudden uh, tension exists that didn't exist necessarily before, or it takes tension that was there and it can raise it a little bit more. You were married for years and you never once argued about who was going to get up in the middle of the night and change a diaper, but now all of a sudden that is something that is there and present in the relationship. And sure enough, The birth of Isaac, though it was a moment of great joy and laughter, it surfaced some tension that existed in the family. You ever had a moment of that should be really joyous, joyous, joyous? (laughs) You ever had a moment that should be joyous become joyous? I'll roll with it. You ever had that happen? You ever had a moment that should have been joyous uh, be, be just tainted by something that, that occurs? Like, it's your birthday, but one of your friends posts something on social media that is really uh, just makes you angry, and it doesn't just make you angry for that day, and I mean of all days on your birthday, but now every time your birthday rolls around, even though it's been a couple of years, you remember what happened on that day. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like it's your retirement's coming and you've been waiting for this for years and you've been thinking about the party you're going to throw and six months before your retirement date, the company lays you off. And yeah, you're retired now, but it doesn't have the feeling that you thought it was going to have. I remember when I was uh, 16 years old, you, I could get my driver's license the day I turned 16 
And, uh, and that was an exciting moment for me. I think some people, when they get to that point, are a little cautious, a little hesitant. That wasn't my attitude. I was, I was ready to get that driver's license and find some freedom in my life. And my parents were ready to have me get that driver's license and no longer drive me around everywhere. And I remember I studied and I did all the classes that you had to do and did all the driving with the instructor in the car. And you tell everybody... The day I turn 16, I'm going to take my test. I'm getting my driver's license. So I went there on that day and I took the eye test and passed. I took the written test and I passed that. And then I got in the car for the driving test and all that studying and all that work. I drove, I remember I drove to the end of the parking lot and there was no stop sign. And I remember panicking internally. And thinking, do I, do I have to stop or can I, can I just go? There's no stop sign here. And so I just kind of rolled out onto the, to the street and went and we did like a five minute, 10 minute thing. You parallel park, you do all the things that you have to do. And I'll never forget, we pulled back into the parking lot and the instructor looked at me and said, you need to make a complete stop coming out of a parking lot. You failed before you even started and unbuckled and got out of the car. And now I had to go out to everyone and everyone said, let me see your driver's license. And you have to say, well, I'll show you next week, Right. And these things don't leave us either because I don't know why, but just a few months ago, my oldest daughter, Caitlin, who's 10, out of nowhere when we were driving in the car, says to me, Dad, did you ever fail a driving test? (sighs) Right? These things, they stick with us. But they get more serious, don't they? They get far more serious. You find out you're pregnant, but you also find out about the affair. You graduate, but you also find out that your parents are getting divorced. It's your anniversary, and that's when you break up. It gets far more serious, these things, that it's your wedding day, and your family gets into one of those epic arguments that just ruins everything. And you remember it for years and years and years and years. And there's this question of, of, can that joy come back, right? Can it be undone? Can it be fixed? And the same thing here happens to Abraham and Sarah. Where this moment of joy and laughter raises up tension. Because there's this unsettled business and this thing that's still there. And in verse 8, we read this, that the child, that's Isaac, the child grew and was weaned. So perhaps two, three years old at this point, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman and her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. You can imagine here Isaac now is is weaned and so Abraham throws a great party to celebrate this moment as his son is now growing up. But there's still the first son that he's had with their servant girl, Hagar. 
And Ishmael now, he's 15, 16 years old. It's just been him and Abraham for years. And it's just been, from Abraham's perspective, it's been him and his son Ishmael. And we read in the text, if you were to turn back to chapter 17, that even though Ishmael's birth was unusual and outside of God's plan, that Abraham was very fond of Ishmael, that he loved his son. And he taught him to hunt. And he, t- he taught him everything that he needed to know about life and how to establish a community. And Abraham, we read in scripture, is someone of great wealth and great means and had people with him. And so he's teaching Ishmael everything that he knows. And now Isaac shows up. Put yourself in Ishmael's shoes. How do you feel at the big party? The text says that Sarah looks and that Ishmael is laughing This is a different type of laughter. This is not the laughter that Sarah and Abraham had. This is not the laughter that Sarah is describing when she's saying that people will laugh over me. That's a laughter of joy. This is the laughter of mockery. There's another issue. You see, legally... Even though Ishmael was born from Hagar, he's still Abraham's oldest son. He's in line for the inheritance. So Sarah's looking at her child and now Ishmael and wondering how her child is going to be the one through which God brings about the promise when you have Ishmael and Hagar still here. And Abraham's dealing with all of this and and, and he's trying to understand what he's supposed to do. Because ethically, he's bound to take care of Hagar and Ishmael. In fact, uh, I said last week that Pastor Rick had brought in a, a... a gentleman by the name of Dr. Marvin Wilson, who for decades has written and taught about the Old Testament. And one of the things that Dr. Wilson brought up to us this week was, was that in the ancient Near East, we know that some communities had laws on the books where it said that if a father tries to conceive a male heir through a servant or a concubine and then has a male heir with his wife, that he is bound to take care of the first son because they had a problem, right? You could see how the problem could happen. Where the the father would try to have a male heir through another woman. And then when he has a male heir through his actual wife, just disregard the first ones. And in the ancient world in 1800 BC, if you're a woman and a child just completely cut off and disregarded, that's, that's a death sentence in the wilderness. And so Abraham has this ethical obligation. He has this moral obligation. He has his wife here. He has Ishmael here. He has Isaac here. And he has the promise of God hanging all over him. And so what should be a very joyous occasion is filled with tension. And the, and the issue is, the problem is, Abraham and Sarah brought this on themselves. If they just listen to God's promise and trust for 25 years that God's bringing a son, there's no tension. 
It's just joyous laughter over Isaac. And so Abraham's looking at this and the whole thing is, is tainted. And it says in the text, our, this is the English standard version, translates this, very, he's, Abraham's very disturbed. But there's a, a commentator, D.A. Carson, who says, who says that the, the Hebrew here could, could easily hold the language of, of Abraham being, being exploding in anger. So it's more than just a feeling of, of, of disturbance in Abraham's soul. He's, he's very angry and upset and perplexed about what to do. The whole thing is tainted. And I wonder if you know that feeling. Like God's bringing good things into your life. He's coming through and yet there's something out there that, that is either that you've done in the past or that someone else has done to you that just feels like it's, it's taking away from what God is doing. That no matter how many years pass and no matter how long it goes, there's always going to be this thing there that just undoes it. Like, yeah, getting married was awesome and a great gift from the Lord. But there's this thing that's happening in your relationships that, that, uh, that, that it just, it's ongoing and it's like it taints the whole thing. Maybe you've never married and, and God's been awesome to you and he's provided in so many ways, but, but, but that piece is just, it, it, it kind of eats at you a little bit. And it seems like it's, it's downplaying the, the whole thing, dampening the whole thing. It's almost like waiting your entire life to win the Academy Award for Best Actor. And it will never be what you wanted it to be. You know that feeling? The next couple of the words in verse 12 are so significant for where Abraham is. But God. In the midst of all that mess, God didn't create. Abraham and Sarah created it. God shows up. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. It's a really painful moment for everyone involved. But it's also a moment of great trusting. Abraham knows if he gives Ishmael a teenage boy and Hagar, his mother, it just a, a goat skin filled with water and sends them out into the wilderness. I mean, the chances of survival are slim. And it's not like Abraham can check Ishmael's TikTok over time and make sure that they're doing okay. He has to trust. 
that when God says, go ahead and do this, because I will watch over Ishmael, he is your son, and I will make him into a great nation, that God will actually do it. And so the Abraham that's just seen God provide a son after waiting for 25 years, takes God as his word and sends Ishmael and Hagar out. And now you have Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. Isaac in line to be the inheritor. Isaac in line to be the one through whom God fulfills his promise. And God does. I think for our modern minds, one of the biggest challenges in this story is Hagar and Ishmael. Because what happens to them? And my guess is that just like we know what it's like to do something and ruin a joyous occasion, we also know what it's like to have something done to us where we're, where we're suffering, not because of our decision, but because of the decision of someone who's near to us. Hagar's never had a choice in this. It wasn't her idea for her to have a son for Abraham. She had no choice. It wasn't her wish to get kicked out into the wilderness, just her and her son. But yet here she is. But God shows up there too. In verse 15, we read this. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him in a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. I mean, you can imagine the agony that she's in here. Leaving her child to die, going far enough away that she can't hear his cries. This isn't Hagar's first time in the wilderness. Do you remember? When she was first pregnant, Sarah kicked her out then too, out of jealousy. And just like it happened that time, the same thing happens here. Verse 17, and God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand. For I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. When Hagar was alone in the wilderness, 
Before Ishmael was born, we read that God heard her cries and came and responded. In fact, when God shows up then, he says, he says, Hagar, I want you to remember that I hear you. Name your son Ishmael, which means God hears. And so every time Hagar would call her son throughout the 15, 16 years of his life, she would say, God hears, come, it's time for dinner. God hears, uh, come, it's time to get washed up. And over and over again, day after day, she would be reminded of that promise. And just like God heard her in the wilderness, now the angel of the Lord comes and says, Hagar, get up. God hears the boy. Just like he heard you. And I'm going to make him into a great nation. Sure enough, many of the Arab people in the world today track their lineage back to Ishmael and Abraham. Some of the first Christians in that part of the world would track their lineage back to Ishmael and Abraham. You see, I think sometimes in our lives we feel like the fact that we're imperfect and we make mistakes and the people around us make mistakes, that somehow that's going to mean that God's perfect promises in our lives aren't going to come to fruition. They're not going to happen for me. They happen for other people, but I'm too tainted. There's too many things that have happened to me. There's too many things that I've done. So I'm happy to be around and hear about the promises of God. I'm happy to be around and be, have my heart warmed as I hear how God works in other people's lives. But as for me and the promises of God in my life and how God might be at work, I, I'm too tainted. What should be a joyous thing for me is not a joyous thing because there's no possible way that because of the things that I have done in my past or the things that have been done to me, that God's promises could still come through in my life. And we've been talking over the weeks what faith believes. We're taught in scripture over and over again that Abraham is a model of faith for us. And here he is, and I say this every week, but I want to remind us again. Here Abraham is learning the very basics of faith in a God. There is no written text at this point that Abraham can look to. There's no Ten Commandments at this point. This is a couple thousand years almost before Jesus will come to this earth. And Abraham is learning the very, the very rudimentary steps of what it looks like to trust in this God that's revealing himself to him. And God shows something in this moment. As he remains faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Sarah. And as he remains faithful to Hagar and Ishmael. That faith can trust that God's promises are perfect. Even in the lives of imperfect people. God's promise to Abraham 25 years later to make a great nation still comes to fruition. And God moves in the midst of the imperfection to also create a great nation through Ishmael. To also watch over Hagar, to also protect her and her boy. And I don't know where you sit this morning, but I want you to know that God's love for you, the grace that he offers you, the plan he has for your life, the promises that are in his word are true for you. 
And some of you might feel like, well, I, I hear what you're saying, but you don't understand all the things that I've done. How it's been tainted. I don't think you understand how God's promises still come to fruition in your life as you come before him and repent of sin, turn your life over to him, how God is able to use you. And some of you are saying, you don't understand. I, I like the idea of God's promises. That sounds nice. But so many things have been done to me. And I want you to know that God hears you in the wilderness. Yeah, it was unjust and it was wrong and it wasn't fair and it wasn't right. It's still not just fair or right. But God hears you. And his promises are good for you. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we prepare to close this morning. And as they come, would you be willing, would you bow your head and close your eyes with me and just think about this for a moment? I want to give us a moment to consider this because I do, I wonder in your life where it feels like the promises of God just aren't what they're supposed to be. Like, yeah, they're perfect in the Bible and they're perfect in theory, but the way they play out in your life, the way it feels, you're just reminded Sunday after Sunday after Sunday why you're not good enough and why all the things that have happened in your life have made you to the point where, yeah, God works, you believe that, but just not through you. What an amazing moment you would be able to have right now with God in his presence, with his spirit in this room, to bring those things before him. To bring your life before him. To say, God, even though these parts of my life, my relationships, my career, my financial status, whatever it is for you. Even though these things don't look the way that I once thought they would look, God, I recognize today that your promises are good and sure and true. That you will bring about what you promise in my life. That you might bring up before the Lord this morning all that past hurt and pain. how you were cheated, how you were violated, how you were dealt with unfairly. And that you would come before the Lord right now in these moments and say, God, even though all this has happened, I trust that you still hear me. Your promises are true in my life. Thank you, Lord, for how you're at work. Thank you that your promises are true and sure. God, I come before you this morning. 
and I repent of those places in my life where I have not done what you've called me to do. When I've done the things I've said not, you've said not to do. God, thank you for forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the promise of redemption, the promise of, re of restoration, the promise of rectification in our lives. Thank you that we can hold on to your word when it says that you work all things together for good. For those who are called according to your purposes. We trust you today. We have faith in you today. In Jesus' name.